Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Monday, July 23rd, 2012. And since it's Monday, it is time for me to answer your calls, questions, and emails. Emails that were sent to jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. With the subject line, article for Jack, question for Jack, comment for Jack, video for Jack, you get it. One word of something, whatever it is, followed by the words for Jack, that gets you into the queue for review, and you might hear your contribution on a show like this. If you do that, if you put anything else in the subject line, you may or may not end up in the queue for review. If you want to end up with your content in the queue for review, Make sure you put something for Jack, like, again, article, etc. Uh, people send me stuff all the time. Don't follow that uh, criteria. Uh, it's not me being a jerk. It's me trying to deal with, you know, about two to 300 emails a day from you guys, uh, another five or 600 total emails a day, and trying to, you know, use filtering so I can make sure that I cover as much as possible. And the thing about the for Jack thing, guys, is even if your stuff doesn't get on the air, trust me, it might not be read in full if you write me a book but I read every single email that comes in like that. So if you want me to see it, just tell you that's the way to do it. Um, today, we before we get into your uh, calls, or not your calls today, your, your email feedback today, uh, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Safe Castle Royal. Uh, you know, if you really are serious about prepping, there's a lot of things that over time you want to build up, things that you're going to need. You'll find them all at Safe Castle. I mean, even if you want to prep, if you're in Tornado Alley, for instance, and you're looking for a hardened shelter, you can go over to Safe Castle's website and click over to their sister site. Uh, and they build some of the best hardened shelters uh, in existence in the world today. So from the tactical to the practical, from the small to the big, you'll find it at Safe Castle. They're also the original Survival Podcast sponsor. They're the original sponsor because they were the first ones. They were the first people that st stood up over three and a half years ago. So, Jack, we know what you're doing, we love what you're doing, and we want to be part of it. We want to be an official sponsor, so how do we do that? And the entire sponsorship program was built around uh, me figuring out how do, I, how do I make sure these guys check out. So uh, they are uh, huge, huge supporters of the show. They also have a discount program. It's $49 one time, and it provides discounts on everything they sell. That discount program is free if you're a member of the support brigade, so effectively their support of the MSB makes your first year of MSB cost a dollar. That's a big supporter. So next time you need something, check them out to see if they have it. Next up today, BackyardFoodProduction.com. Check out Marjorie Wildcraft's site. Again, BackyardFoodProduction.com. If you want to turn your backyard into a food production machine, she has the template for you. She can show you exactly how to do just that. And you can do it whether you're on a tenth of an acre in the suburbs or ten acres in the country. Either way, her resource, her DVD, is something that you've got to add to your prepper library. And the knowledge imparted in it is actually priceless as far as I'm concerned. Uh, next up, I want to remind you, you can get some really cool copper coins at tspcopper.com. Remember, the pricing there is per roll of 20, not per individual coin. I've had one person ask me about that even recently, even though I've been saying that. Uh, next up, make sure you come to the Self-Reliance Expo in Arlington, Texas, Friday and Saturday this week, if there's any way that you can. I'd love to see you there. Remember, we do have a special meet and greet early entry for TSP members. I want to point out this is for anybody from TSP. This is not MSB only. This is anybody 
from the TSP audience. All you have to do is go to the entry uh, point where they sell the tickets and all on uh, Saturday morning at the appointed time and uh, look for either Ron or Scott. They'll have a sign up that says TSP meet, meet, meet up or meet and greet or something like that. Just go tell them you're part of the group, and when the time comes, they'll escort you in early. Full details are available in today's show notes. But I'd love to see you guys there. Again, I'll be speaking uh, at afternoon time uh, on the uh, on Friday as part of an expert council with Southern Prepper One and Doc Bones. And then I will be doing the keynote address first thing uh, about a half hour after the doors open for everybody else on Modern Survival Philosophy on Saturday morning. Hope to see as many of you guys there as possible. Next up, I'm still looking for some people with uh, with some land. Somewhere I'd say, you know, if you draw a two-hour circle around Dallas-Fort Worth and you have 100 acres or more of land that you own and you'd be interested in talking to me about a project I have in mind, get in touch with me. A few people did. I send them back details and I haven't heard back. So I'm taking that to mean unless I hear from them, let's say this week, that they're not interested in what I had proposed. You may not be either, but if you've got 100 acres or more of land within two hours of Dallas-Fort Worth, Uh, shoot me an email, just put land in the subject line, and I'll tell you what I have in mind. And again, no obligations. You may not be interested, but if you are, uh, we'll talk from there. And it, just because you say you're interested after I tell you what I have in mind doesn't mean you're committing to it. So if any of you guys out there have already sent me an email, think this might be something I want to do, but I'm not sure, let me know. We'll chat about it, and we'll see if we can make it work. If not, uh, this project is something that's going to happen. I can't talk about it any further than that right now. Please don't ask me what it is. I can't tell you until it's actually underway. All right, with that, I do have uh, everything taken care of today. I'm not going to say anything about the MSB other than, hey, if you want to support the show, you can join it. If you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, email me before you join with military discount or service discount in the subject line, and I'll send you a discount code. Because I want to get into what's on everybody's mind, and honestly, I think there was entirely too much media coverage of it over the weekend, but I feel it's necessary for me to speak about it today from a different standpoint than you're going to hear pundits and politicians and media people speak about it because I've received well over 100 emails about this. And, of course, you probably already know I'm talking about the shooting that occurred in Colorado uh, during a, a premiere of a Batman movie where this psychopath went in and killed a large number of people, injured a far larger number of people, and, of course, terrorized everybody that was there. And... The people that died have not even been buried yet. And the political vultures are already using this as an excuse to call for more gun control. Let me say I think it's just despicable that people would do that and use this to political ends. One moron, I don't remember his name, but some news anchor from NBC or CBS or something put his foot in his mouth before did it again and linked the shooter to the Tea Party like an idiot And, of course, the guy's not linked to the Tea Party, and it's just more partisan crap. I think it's maybe a good time, though, for us that are on you know, the side of the Constitution and the fundamental law of our nation uh, to back off a little bit as well, though. I've seen an awful lot of stuff going around, pictures, cartoons, and stuff, of saying, you know, basically springboarded off of this, that this is why we need the Second Amendment. I think we're right, but I think maybe we can let them politicize the damn thing for a week before we respond. Because I think America's getting smarter. Because if there's one piece of good that's come after this, there's no good that comes from this, but some good can come after this. It's that one of the things that the media is reporting to their utter dismay is that the majority of Americans today believe that 
promoting responsible gun ownership is more important than further controls and restrictions on guns. And they're reporting this over and over and over again as though somehow they've landed in the land of Oz and they really don't understand why. They really don't get it. I mean, they would think that right now that people, especially after the shooting, would think that this is really the time for more gun control. I mean, look what just happened. Isn't it terrible? This guy bought all this ammo and all this equipment, and he went in and harmed all these people. But I think what people are thinking right now, in large numbers, is not maybe to the point of some. if only somebody had been there that had been armed. I'm sure there's people thinking that. But I think what people are really starting to think about more personally is if I was involved in something like this, how would I defend myself, my children, and my wife? And they start to realize that there is only one answer, and that's to be armed. I want to point out that we can be over-exuberant in our response to events like this about what an armed citizen can or cannot do. Because the opponent to the Second Amendment will say there's no guarantee if you were armed that you wouldn't have been one of the first people shot. That's true, but if I wasn't, at least I have an opportunity to defend myself. Some would say, well, there's no guarantee that you would have been able to identify the shooter. Well, at least I would have been able to try. There's no guarantee that if you were able to shoot at the shooter, you would have been able to incapacitate him. Again, I would have been able to try. And then we have clowns, complete-ass clowns, like Michael Bloomberg, responding to statements like, you know, maybe if there had been somebody there armed, there would have been a better end to this. And he says stupid shit, and I mean, honest to God... If there's an Ask Clown of the Year award this year, it goes to Bloomberg for this statement. I don't think anybody would have been better off if other people had just been in there firing randomly. Mr. Bloomberg, I know that you're stupid. I do. I, I know that you have an IQ uh, slightly lower uh, than probably something like, oh, I don't know, a mouse. I know that you're completely and totally incapable of congruent thought along the lines of people's rights, because you think you have a right to tell them, for God's sakes, how much soda they should be allowed to drink. But I would like to explain to Mr. Bloomberg and people like him the way that an armed citizen would respond in this situation. It certainly would not be by responding with random shots. I'm really using every bit of self-control I have to not absolutely snap a gasket over that statement because I think that my response would lose something if I did. But it is something that should stare a fire in your belly that somebody would make such a stupid statement. And what's more concerning than Michael Bloomberg making a stupid statement because, well, Mr. Bloomberg, you make stupid statements all the time, is that people believe it. There are people that would, oh, yeah, what if? What if? After an event, you can always say what if. There's a million what ifs. The only what if I have for anybody out there who hasn't taken the step to get yourself legally armed as best you can wherever you live is, what if it happens to you? What response would work best? I saw a lady on Master Guns uh, Facebook say that, hey, the, 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 uh, The, the guy that shot Gabby Giffords was taken about two, down by two ladies beating him with handbags. I carry my handbag for defense. A handbag isn't a defense. A lady in Florida found out the hard way. There's, there's only one answer to what if. is to be able to return fire. That's the only answer, and it's why our founders had the wisdom to put the Second Amendment in place. 
There's plenty of time for this political wrangling later, though. The bigger story here is that Americans are so caught up in a sense of normalcy bias that we're, we, we take a story like this and it gets 24-7 news coverage for a week or more. A few people grow bored with it and decide to talk about something else. And they don't realize how many people die every day. People die every day. And I'm not saying anything to uh, dishonor those who, who died in this tragedy. Or I'm not saying anything to, to mitigate the tragedy. But it's important that we take things with a little bit of reality, a little reality pill once in a while. There's more people than this being shot in Syria every day right now in the middle of a conflict over there. But... Our media doesn't seem to have any interest in talking about that at all because it just doesn't serve anybody's political agenda right now. Did you even know that? Unless you watch channels like Russia Today, which has plenty of stuff I disagree with, but at least they're covering that story. At least they're telling me what's going on. How many people died on the highway yesterday? More than died in that shooting. Life is precious. That's the lesson here. The real lesson here is that any of us, any day could be shot or killed by some crazy person or simply get a cancer diagnosis. The real lesson here is that mothers that are afraid to let their children play football need to realize that that child's probably more likely to be killed in a bus accident on the way to school than on a football field. It's not that it doesn't happen, it's just the odds. The real lesson here is that our lives, all of our lives, are fragile. And this is just another example of why we should be prepared. We should be prepared for risk. We should pre be prepared for disaster. We should be prepared for disaster in our own families. Trust me, just because you weren't there at that theater that horrible night doesn't mean that it wasn't a disaster for you. And I'm not just talking about the empathy and the pain that we all feel as fellow Americans to see this happen in our own country. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the true victims, the people that had loved ones, friends, and family there. They've just had a disaster, a tremendous disaster. It's not something you can ever be prepared for, but it's something that preparation can mitigate. But the other thing I'd like to point out is that every time that something like this happens, people act as though this is something new. Oh, we have to act now. Oh, we must do something now. This changes everything. This changes nothing. This is nothing new. And regret for not having the ability to defend yourself and your loved ones in these situations is nothing new. In fact, many of the laws passed in the 90s, late 80s, early 2000s to allow for concealed carry in some ways go back to very, very similar events happening. One in particular happened at a Luby's cafeteria in Texas. And if you want to know the answer to these problems, and if you want to know the pain that comes from not being prepared, and you want to know the reality of why we have a Second Amendment, I can't think of anybody better than a lady who lived through that shooting in, in, in the Libby's cafeteria in Texas back in the 80s. Her name was Suzanne Hupp. She gave testimony before our Congress when they were considering the original assault weapons ban. And she talked about not just being in the middle of such a, a horrible, horrible tragedy, but losing both of her parents because she obeyed the law that said that she wasn't able to carry. 
I'm going to let her finish up this segment. This is from actual testimony in front of the United States Congress from a long time ago. And it tells us that this isn't anything really that's new. And that the same old tired political solutions are not the answer. That individuals that care enough to do what is right are the answer. Not here representing the NRA. I'm not even a member. Okay. Secondly, I'd like to say that uh, in your opening statements, um, you commented that uh, you commented specifically on my testimony, saying that basically it had nothing to do with this issue. And I had to chuckle because then I noticed he had uh, Mr. Brady up here who was hit not with an assault weapon but with a 22 caliber revolver. So getting beyond that, a couple of years ago. My parents and I went to a cafeteria in Texas on a bright, sunny day. We weren't in a dark alley where we weren't supposed to be. And as you all know the story, this madman drove his truck through the window. And he began shooting. Well, immediately, my father and I got down on the floor and put the table up in front of us. And this guy kept shooting. And you're thinking, well, you know, what could it be? Is it, is it a robbery? That's the first thing that generally comes to mind. And he keeps shooting. It took me a good 45 seconds to realize that this man wasn't there to commit a robbery. He wasn't there for a hit. He was there to simply shoot as many people as he possibly could. I can tell you that I'm not mad at the guy that did this. As he continued, it was obvious that he was a madman. My father... At that point, said, I'm gonna, I, I just gotta do something, I've gotta do something, he's gonna kill everybody in here, and he rushed the man. No way. This guy turned, shot him in the chest. He went down, uh, was obviously mortally wounded. For whatever reason, that made the man change directions and go off to my left. Shortly thereafter, someone at the back of the restaurant broke out a window. When I saw what looked like an opportunity to escape, I turned around and I grabbed my mother by the shirt and I said, come on, come on, we've got to run, we've got to get out of here. And then my feet grew wings and I was out the back window. As soon as I got out, I realized that my mother had not followed me out. And as I learned from the police officers, she had crawled over to where my father was and cradled him until the guy got back around her put the gun to her head, she looked up at him, put her head down, and he pulled the trigger. My parents had just had their 47th wedding anniversary. She wasn't going anywhere. As I mentioned, I'm not really mad at the guy that did this. And I'm certainly not mad at the guns that did this. They didn't walk in there by themselves and pull their own triggers. The guy that did it was a, a, a lunatic. That's like being mad at a, a rabid dog. I'm mad at my legislators for legislating me out of the right to protect myself and my family. I would much rather be sitting in jail with a felony offense on my head and have my parents alive. As far as these so-called assault weapons, you say that they don't have any defense use. You tell that to the guy that I saw on a videotape of the L.A. riot, standing up on his rooftop, protecting his property and his life from an entire mob with one of these so-called assault weapons. Tell me that he didn't have a legitimate self-defense use. Just one final statement. I'm, I've been sitting here getting more and more fed up with all of this talk about these pieces of machinery having no legitimate sporting purpose. 
no legitimate hunting purpose. People, that is not the point of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is not about duck hunting. And I know I'm not going to make very many friends saying this, but it's about our rights, all of our rights, to be able to protect ourselves from all of you guys up there. I'm going to go on now to another subject because there really isn't anything else that needs to be said as far as I'm concerned. Like I said, this is nothing new. And the arguments that will be made because of it are nothing new. And the only solutions are nothing new. Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about America being the freest nation on the planet and the lie that's been sold to the American people that that's the case. Last week I talked about what were being called libertarian zones that might be set up in the nation of Honduras. And uh, I said, you know, it's a great idea. I don't know if they'll ever pull it off, but this is how it could be pulled off. And basically they would have these little islands, like a little island nation within a nation, and have certain freedoms and liberties beyond what I guess everybody else there would have, but specifically, in this case, economic liberties. And uh, Metaforge, who is uh, often a great commenter on the blog, asked a question, which I answered on the blog, but I want to answer here to really drive home this point. He said, if one moved to the, one of these zones in Honduras, or I guess any other country for that matter, and still had a telecommute job with a U.S. country, company, I imagine the IRS would still demand income taxes, right? Would they still take Social Security and Medicare taxes, too? Let me tell you how this works. If you go work in another country, one way or another, whether you work for a U.S. company doesn't really matter, whether you work independently as an independent business person or whether you work for a company in another nation, uh, for the first six months, in general, in most cases, uh, you continue to pay income taxes to the United States. Unless you choose to pay income taxes to your host country, generally after six months, the host country is going to damn well require that you pay taxes uh, in their country most times. And at that point, if you're paying taxes to the host country, you don't pay taxes to the United States of America. But yeah, you still got to pay your Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, even though you stop paying the income taxes. Um, the only way to ever stop doing this, the only way, is for you to actually obtain citizenship in another nation and then go fill out a form at a U.S. embassy which effectively renounces your citizenship as a U.S. citizen. And at that point, you have no further tax obligations whatsoever to the United States of America. Whatever you've paid into Social Security, assuming that it stays solvent, is still due back to you. Uh, obviously you'll get less than if you'd paid in your entire life, but you should actually still receive your Social Security benefits at retirement for what you've already paid in, even if you do this. Once that is done, this is how taxation works for the rest of the world. In most instances, a nation has no desire to tax you if you live in that nation for less than three months, 90 days or less. And your host nation doesn't have any, or your, uh, your, your nation of citizenship has no desire to tax you while you're not there, because you're not using any resources. So there's an entire group of people that do things like this. They live in two or three different countries a year for 90 days at a time, and they never actually pay any taxes at all. Many of these people also do things like diversify their portfolio and holdings by opening up accounts with, let's say, uh, the Perth Mint in Australia. 
And when they do that, they have their money held in gold, and they're able to buy and sell and earn in gold. Yeah, they can, you can do that. You get a little debit card. It's linked to an account with gold in it. And when you sp spend money, your gold is sold. And when you deposit money, your gold is bought, and it's held for you in the Perth Mint. They might open up a bank account in a really safe nation like Switzerland, and they might do a lot of things like that. And even if they don't have a lot of money, they might just put a little bit here and a little bit there and make sure that they have that ability, and they, they largely avoid taxes. Or Many of them actually will pay taxes, but only for part of the year when they live in their own country, and they might live abroad for a while. Or They choose a country to live in that eventually, if they stay there long enough, they have to pay taxes in, but they'll pay lower taxes. And as a, a citizen of any other nation, all of this is actually very easy to do. In fact, there's only one nation where you can't do this stuff, and it's the United States of America. The only citizen on planet Earth that can't open up that account I talked about with the Perth Mint in Australia is a U.S. citizen. A citizen of Trinidad can open up that account. A citizen of Russia can open up that account. A citizen of China can open up that account. A citizen of France or Germany or Belgium or Brazil or India or Tunisia or any other place you can think of on the planet Any other citizen anywhere can open up that account, but not you. Any other citizen of any other nation can travel the world and live you know, 90 days here and 90 days there and completely avoid taxation. Any other citizen in the world, because they're not consuming the resources of the nation that they're a citizen to. Any other citizen can do this except you. And we're the freest nation on the planet. I wanted you to know that. Because I think it's important that we know this. doesn't mean that I'm not proud to be an American. doesn't mean that being an American citizen doesn't have a lot also going for it. It doesn't mean that a lot of people that have that freedom wouldn't trade it for citizenship in this country. But we have to ask ourselves why this is the case. Now, your government will tell you it is so that the very wealthy can't offshore their money, so that the very wealthy can't do this and the very wealthy can't do that. Of course, the very wealthy do it all the time. The very wealthy simply go to another country and establish a corporation there, earn money in that nation through that corporation and avoid U.S. taxes and avoid U.S. red tape and hire offshore labor, and they do it in spite of this. The, the people that it affects are the average working people, working professionals that own little businesses that learn largely online, Uh, working people that are telecommuters that can do highly specialized skill sets, but it doesn't really matter geographically where they're at. That's who they're after. They're not after the big people. The big people write the laws. Duh. So just thought you might want to know that about your country today. Now on a little bit more useful and happy note, last week uh, somebody called in asking about this film made by 3M, Uh, and they were talking about how it would baby basically like prevent break-ins and things like that. And I said, I didn't think that's what it was for. I thought it was more for things like um, reducing UV radiation, reducing heat effects. Uh, and if a window was broken, it would hold it together so it wouldn't shatter all over the place and be dangerous and be easier to clean up. Well, it turns out it does all of that and more. It actually is a pretty good theft deterrent as well. I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you can learn more about this stuff today. They have a picture of a couple guys trying to break into a shop window from a security camera, and they beat the hell out of this window, and they never get in. Uh, they got a guy having at it with a baseball bat, and it holds the window together amazingly well. 
Now, I don't think this stuff is actually burglar-proof. Give me a knife and I'll get in um, once I break the window if I needed to get in. But a lot of people wouldn't know to do that now, would they? And I actually think this is a tremendous uh, upgrade to your home. That I haven't priced it yet, but I'm imagining it's going to cost a lot less than a lot of other upgrades to your home. And I think it's a safety upgrade. I think it's an energy-efficient upgrade, and I think it's a security upgrade. And I actually see an opportunity here, if it was marketed right, for someone to just simply go into an installer-dealer business uh, in any of the major cities out there today. I think that with the right website and the right marketing, uh, you can make a pretty good living off of installing this stuff, and it would be something easy to train people to do and build a pretty damn good business off of. But here is their Ultra Prestige series. And uh, this is what it says that the capabilities are. The ultimate in high technology offering 28 micro layers of strong tear-resistant ultra-safety film with added advantage of Prestige Series sun control films. Designed to not change the appearance of your home, allowing up to 70% of the visible light through your windows. So it doesn't darken your windows like solar screens would. Hold glass together in the event of a break-in or severe weather. And then this is the, the energy efficiency thing. Reduces up to 60% of heat coming through your windows and reduces hot spots by rejecting up to 97% of the sun's infrared rays. I realize for some people in the north that actually use a lot of solar heat, uh, solar radiant heating uh, in your winters, that that would actually be a detriment. But to those of us in the south, we spend far money, more money cooling our homes than we'll ever spend heating them. And the energy efficiency alone, I think, would probably be worth doing this. I haven't been able to inspect this. I haven't been able to put my hands on it. I haven't been able to have somebody set up a window for me and let me try to break into it. I don't know what happens if you shoot it with a gun. Uh, I don't know what happens if you shoot it with something versus like a 22 versus something like uh, a 9mm versus something like uh, 223. I have no idea. I know that it would probably be better in any event than it would if it wasn't there, though. I think this is something that we should all look into. It seems like the installation is relatively easy. It seems like something you could probably do for yourself, but it might be better to have someone who does it every day do a really good job for you doing I certainly, as we get into our new house, will be looking to add it to our new house. Um, I thank the caller who brought it in. I thank several of you who pointed out for me um, what this stuff's really all about, what it does, and uh, letting me know there was more to it than I previously understood. They have a little calculator. I don't know how well that is to be believed, but basically if you had a, um, a home near Dallas-Fort Worth of about 2,000 square feet with 20 windows in it and you put this stuff, it should cut your annual cooling savings by 11%. That's not going to make your electric bill $5, but it's a significant savings as far as I'm concerned, especially for people like me that like to keep their homes really cool in the summertime despite the fact that the president doesn't think we should be able to. And uh, to add the security and safety functionality as well, this seems like kind of a no-brainer to me. If there's anybody that knows of maybe a superior product, let me know. I'm not married to this company, this brand, but looking at it, I am very impressed and thought you guys might want to know more about it. As to the original question as to how this can be effective, given that it's so thin, it's very tough laminated material. And it actually is turning the glass into a defensive mechanism. By holding the glass together, 
It's not just the film that's creating the resistance. It's the shattered glass, like almost like plate armor, up against uh, this this very tough material. So it's the two acting together that create this. And again, if you watch the guys trying to break into this building, they spend quite a while doing it. It seems like they actually get the bottom of the window out enough to get their foot inside. Um, and I think if they had spent enough time that they would have eventually gotten in. But, you know, you're kind of exposed when you're out there peeking on a window in the middle of a street. And eventually they were smart enough to leave. And it seems like it probably saved this store owner, you know, quite a bit of grief. So check it out. Again, it's a, it's a 3M film, uh, 3M window film. I'll put a link today where you can learn about all of them together. Uh, all of them, they have a, an ultra prestige, an ultra a safety, uh, an impact protection attachment system. Uh, I, I'm going to learn more about this. I'll let you know as I do, but I think it looks like a really smart upgrade to your home for security, for safety, and for energy efficiency. That's a, that's a pretty winning trifecta as far as I'm concerned. So this next email comes in from Phil, and Phil says, How prophetic of you. I wish you were damn wrong sometimes. I actually responded to this email and said, Yes, so do I. Um, for a long time I've been telling you that... Your government, and that it would start at local levels, your government is going to move to taxing you based on mileage. And that this will do a couple of things. And there's a lot of reasons they would want to do it and a lot of reasons we would not want them to do it. One thing it will do is allow them to track where you go and what you do. How can we track you by the mile if we don't set up little sensors and your car is going to have a little sensor RFID in it and it's going to track your mileage? Right? If we don't have that, we can't do it. So that's how they're going to do it. And they'll, they'll float ideas that make it more reasonable, like when you pay for your gas, it'll base it on your... No, it's not going to be that. It's going to be by the mile, because this is to address people that are going to be driving electric cars and not going to gas stations very often, or people driving highly fuel-efficient cars that, that you know uh, do all the things they tell us they want us to do, but they really don't want you to drive less. They really don't want you to lose less gas, folks, because that's how they make their... There's a huge amount of money being made by the government on a gallon of gasoline. The government makes more money on a gallon of gasoline by taxing it than the oil company does by pumping it out of the ground, than the refinery company makes by changing it from oil into gasoline, and more money than the shopkeeper makes by selling it to you. He makes about two cents a gallon. Your government makes about freaking 50 times that on a gallon of gasoline. So they don't want you to buy less gasoline, not until they get this done anyway. Uh, so that's that was kind of my prediction, what I've been saying, uh, what I'll continue to say, uh, because it's happening. So, uh, again, Phil sent me this, this email with a link on an article that's on CBS San Francisco. So this isn't Alex Jones' crazy stuff. No, this is absolutely 100% uh, mainstream media here. Oakland, KCBS, Bay Area drivers could one day be tracked using a GPS-like device in their cars and taxed per miles driven, a scenario which is part of a proposed long-range study aimed at finding ways to reduce traffic and pollution while also raising revenues. Members of the Metropolitan Transportation Commission and the Association of Bay Area Governments are scheduled to vote on Thursday on whether or not to authorize a study of the proposal. Under the plan, drivers would have to install trackers in their vehicles 
and officials would tax drivers for every mile that they drive. Randy Randy Alphabet (laughs) with the Metropolitan Transportation Commission said, this is a 20-year-old look at what may be best for transit funding, and as always, there's going to be concern from consumers about government tracking. Quote, we're not interested in where they go, we're only interested in the amount they travel, said Renschaller. But for some folks, that's a distinction without a difference. Anytime you talk about getting information from people, wherever that conversation comes up, it's a huge hurdle you have to overcome. That's because Randy Alphabet, we don't like you knowing what we're doing. We don't think it's any of your business. It's not a huge hurdle to overcome. It's reality. People don't need to be tracked. Okay, so you can read the rest of the article if you want to. I will certainly put a link in the show notes for you. But let me tell you what else they're going to do with this nifty little scam. They're going to tax you more when you drive during certain times of the day. That's how they're going to address the traffic issue. They're going to tax you more when you drive faster. You don't need you won't need speeding tickets anymore. No, they'll just try. You know, when you drive too fast, they'll uh, they'll charge you a higher tax. I'm serious. That's what they're going to do. In fact, they'll probably tax you a little bit lower if you drive slightly under the speed limit. Yeah, they will. Uh, they'll tax you based on what lane you drive in. There'll be expensive lanes and cheap lanes. They're not going to put a GPS tracker in your car. That's too complicated, costs too much money, and has too many things that can go wrong with it. It also doesn't really allow for them to tax people who drive through their community that come from other places now, does it? You would have to get this little thing done everywhere. But in every state in the union, just about, and if there's any places that don't do it, they'll soon be doing it, you have to get this thing called a registration. When you get that registration from your vehicle, you get a window decal. Some places, I think, they still do it on the license plate, but more and more people have moved to the window decal, and you stick that in there, and when you drive by an officer of the law, he will sometimes glance at your window to make sure your registration in a few states where they still have it, your inspection is current. If it's not, he may jump on his motorcycle into his car and pull you over and write you a ticket for it. This is pretty much the case everywhere. It's a tax. It's a registration vehicle tax. They say it's to make sure that if your vehicle gets lost, we can recover it. No, that's what a license plate is for. (laughs) If it was just about having it in a database, it could be done at one time. Uh, at one time at the time of purchase when the title is filed by the owner or the lien holder. It's, it's not necessary to track your vehicle in the event that it's stolen. It, it's, it's a tax. Duh. Well, when you pay that tax, the, what they'll do is they'll just put a little chip in your decal and you'll say, well, I'm not going to have one. Well, they'll pull you over and take you to jail for not having it. That's how they're going to do this. There's not going to be a way out of it. Just like you can't drive around with an unregistered vehicle uh, without ending up in trouble. And I know some of you are going to tell me you do it, but I bet you get pulled over a lot. And when you don't, it's just oversight. But see, when you're driving down the road, and there's these little sensors along all the roads, and you go by and your vehicle is picked up as being a vehicle without one of these things, it'll tell on you. Take a picture of your license plate. They'll find you. Maybe they'll come to your house and pick you up. You're not going to get away with it. This is how they're going to do this. This is how they're going to control this. And it's going to be very, very simple for them to put sensors in. And we, They don't need a sensor like every nine feet. They could put a sensor every half mile along the major roads. And what they'll do is they'll start out with highways and things like that. Just like they've done with Easy Pass on the toll roads. Do you know that in some states now that have toll roads, there's not even uh, a toll booth anymore? 
And if you don't have the little easy pass or whatever they call it where you're from with the uh, RFID, uh, the, the camera just takes a picture of your license plate, sends you a bill, and you pay more than the person with the pass. The, the Dallas Dallas area, they have the, uh, the, the tollway, North Tollway. There used to be toll booths there and gates, and you would drive through them, and you'd pay a toll manually if you didn't have a pass. Well, now when you drive through there, if you don't have a pass, you just get a bill in the mail for, like I don't know, like 20 or 30 cents more than a person has a pass. So this is all the infrastructures in place. All of these ideas about we're going to put a GPS tracker in here and do this and that, it's just so people will get really pissed off so that then they can slip this little thing into your uh, registration and they'll say, at first, it's not even for this. I'm giving you a prophecy here, folks. This is, this is exactly how this is going to happen. It's not even for this. This is to improve our ability to recover stolen vehicles. That an officer could point at that and just, it's not going to give them things like, you know, You're, you're, you're addressing things like that so that people can do identity theft. It'll just track back to our database. You'll need secure access to our database to do anything with the data. But a, a law enforcement officer could have gotten a report that there was a, a blue Pontiac stolen and see a blue Pontiac in kind of a weird area and without putting himself in danger or bothering a person if they're innocent could just you know, laser tag it basically from his vehicle and verify it's stolen. And if it's stolen, he knows to call for backup. And if it's not stolen, he knows that he just needs to go on about his way and not disturb the person in the car. It'll it'll clear up confusion, but it'll make officers more safe when there is danger. And if we won't waste resources. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. Oh, yeah, you know the toll rolls we already have. Well, you don't need your easy pass anymore. All you have to do is link a credit card uh, or a bank account to your account with the state. And when you drive on toll roads, everybody has easy pass now. It's all made made part of your sticker. It'll add like a dollar in the manufacturing costs of the sticker, but that's fine because you're going to pay it when they just raise your registration costs $3 to pay for the dollar. This will be great. This is what they're going to do. This is this is already planned. All of these things that are like, we're not quite sure how to do it yet, and we, we can't ever how to get over the hurdle. They're just floating the ideas to make people angry, but to get people used to it. This is what they're going to do. And if you drive a car with gas, you're going to pay mileage tax and gas tax. And they're going to say, this is the save the rainforest and the polar bears. It's not. It's really not. It's to get more information about you and to get more of your money and to get more control over you. Because imagine what the government will be able to do with this information. First of all, they'll say, well, we realize that people have privacy concerns. And while we won't be using this information for investigative purposes, Once we launch an investigation, there's no reason for us not to use it. So if we suspect you of something, then we can go in and pull your information up. Of course, your information really doesn't track you. It just tracks your vehicle, but you're responsible for your vehicle. So we'd like to know why you wear places that you were at certain times, even if it may not be related to whatever the person may be investigated for, whether or not they're guilty or innocent. Think of the leverage and power that gives a government. Think of it. It's kind of scary. It's kind of eerie, and it should be. It's not just where you were. It was what time you were there, how long it took you to get there, where you were coming from, where you went back to. Interesting information that maybe nobody has business knowing except the person going. But you know how they're going to get around this privacy concern? <laughs> 
Let me give you the words they're going to use, the exact words that they will use when they finally just tell you that this is happening whether you like it or not. No reasonable expectation of privacy. They'll tell you, and this is technically and legally accurate. Okay, if we want to come into your home, uh, Mr. Smith, and, and take a look around and see what you're doing inside of your home, then we'll need a warrant for that because you're constitutionally protected. And even though maybe we don't think you should be constitutionally protected, well, you are. So we'll accept the fact that that's the case. But do you know, Mr. Smith, if you were out in a public park and you were buying drugs from somebody and... Uh, that person actually turned out to be a police officer, and they had a recording of you, you know, discussing the transaction with them. Maybe we had video cameras on you that we wouldn't need a warrant for that at all because you're in a public place. And in a public place, gee, Mr. Smith, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy. Now, law enforcement officers, we don't think we should have to uh, to comply with that, so we'll tell you to turn off your camera, even though there's no reason you shouldn't be able to video our activities in public. We'll threaten you. Sometimes we'll arrest you. Some cops are going to be cool about it. But in general, we understand that this applies to you 100% of the time. We can video you. We can tape you. We can do anything we want if you're in a public place because there's no reasonable expectation of privacy, Mr. Smith. Guess what? All of these roads that you drive your car on are public roads paid with public tax dollars and subject to policing and everything else that goes along with that. In fact, they're all public easements. They're all public property. They're all public places. Because they're public, you have no reasonable expectation of privacy. We already have a license plate on your car by which you can be identified. Nobody's ever had a problem with that. Why would you think that you would have an expectation of privacy when you're driving down the highway on a public transit? Now, look, we have no interest in just you know targeting individuals or using this stuff maliciously, but if it would come up that it might help us catch a criminal, you wouldn't be against that now, would you, Mr. Smith? This is exactly how it will be sold to and told to the American people. And when it happens, you can remember you heard it from Uncle Jack first. Let's take another one. Oh, wait, one final thing, because I just have to destroy all the pretense and lies and bullshit surrounding this uh, completely for you today. The ass clown, Mr. Alphabet, in the article, he said, we don't really need to know where they went or how long they were there or anything like that. We just we just really care how, how many miles they drive if we're going to do this, you know. So they'll have to just get over the GPS thing so that we can know the mileage. There's a thing in a car called an odometer. They go back a long time ago. I remember I bought my first... First car, it was made all the way back in the 60s, and I, I, I collected copper to buy it. It had one of these high-tech things called an odometer. If you really wanted to do this and you only cared about mileage, not the time of day, not where they're going, not how fast they're getting there, not stuff like that. If you just wanted to know the distance traveled, well, you would develop a device that would simply monitor the odometer and report solely the information that she actually required, but that's that's not what they really want to do now, is it? Again, it'll be placed in your registration sticker. Again, when it happens, you can send me an email and go, damn it, don't you ever aren't you ever wrong about stuff like this? And I can tell you, like I told Phil, I sure as hell wish I was. Now let's take another one. So um well before we move on, I got one more on this. Uh, I almost left it off on the last thing with the mileage. Just one more thing. Jobs. Jobs will be part. It's going to create jobs. We'll need people putting all this, these sensors up and everything, and it'll be great. Green jobs, too, they'll call it. Anyway, uh, so let, let's go back to another tragedy in America. We talked about one leading off today. One we'll all remember, um, 
uh, 9-11. And remember that what we were told that day is that these, these illegal aliens, they weren't even supposed to be here. They were in the country illegally, most of them from Saudi Arabia, uh, came here and, and committed this atrocious crime. And one of the ways they did that is that these, some of these illegal aliens went to flight school. And they learned how to fly airplanes. And then they flew the airplanes into buildings. And one ended up in the ground. And I'm not disputing or confirming or anything about 9-11. I don't go into the conspiracy talk about that. I think it's a rabbit hole that will do us no good uh, at the current time, especially when it comes to being prepared. Um, I will just say at this point before I go on, because the, the questions will come if I don't, I do not believe the official story. And I generally, in speaking, think that most of the truthers are way too far out in left field. The truth lies somewhere in the middle, but I do not believe that we as a people were told the truth about it. And that's enough to be deeply concerned. But in response to this, uh, for our safety, for our own good, our government has done things like making sure that all people that get past the gate have a ticket. All the people that were involved in 9-11 had a ticket. Uh, they do things like make sure that uh, that we go through, you know, security checkpoint. All three of the, or all of the 19 hijackers went through security checkpoints. They have done some things like saying, yeah, we're not going to let you carry box cutters anymore because when 9-11 happened, it was actually okay to carry small knives and box cutters on planes. So, uh, But they also tell us things like, you know, you can't carry too big of a bottle of shampoo uh, you know, things that you just get to the point, you know, people have their fingernail clippers taken away. Little old ladies, uh, in a wheelchair have their freaking adult diapers inspected. Children are, are, are felt up by, by TSA agents that, that, you know, some of these guys clearly seem to be acting like perverts and some seem to be people just trying to do the job that they have. I've seen both sides of it. You know, I've seen TSA agents that are like, this is what I gotta do. And I've seen TSA agents that really just seem like they shouldn't have the job. Uh, and I think it would be case in any job. But all this stuff is necessary to protect us. But let's let's go back to the original problem. People that were in our country illegally, even if they initially entered legally, their, their, their documents expired, were able to stay here illegally and go to flight school. So you'd think with naked body scanners, nobody being able to you know, go back to the gate anymore to meet their, their friends and family coming home or go meet somebody at an airport and have a burger with them when they're on a layover and having to be in your town. You can't do that anymore. We have to do all this stuff for safety. Okay, fine. You would think then. You would think that one of the things that this massive, you know, new government department that spends billions of dollars, Homeland Security, uh, the TSA, all of this stuff that they would maybe just like say, you know, one thing we probably should do is we should probably keep an eye on like illegal aliens getting flight training because even if they don't hijack a plane, like if they did that, then they could just like, you know, get a pilot's license and then like rent a Cessna and like, you know, fill it up with a bunch of stuff and fly it into cities or buildings. I mean, where they could spray stuff. I mean, if this, this, this the terrorist threat's real and these people from these other countries would be the ones to come here and, and obtain this training, then, then, then so surely, Surely there's some oversight that, like, if you go take flight training and what have you, that you you, you can't be an illegal alien in, in the United States and, and go into flight school. I mean, we can debate the you know illegal immigrant debate all we want, and should the guy be a gardener in the backyard cutting grass? That's really not my concern. I uh, sure wish some of them weren't drawn down Medicaid, and Medicare, and you know all this other stuff that they they draw from without paying into. But let that go. You would just think that it would be reasonable that anybody would would you know think that we would you know, no. 
No, no. While while they're taxing, you know, planning to tax you by the mile, track you everywhere you go, filling up your children. This is what happened. Again, this is on uh, cnsnews.com. Uh, TSA let 15 illegal aliens attend flight school owned by an illegal alien. This sounds like it should be on the onion. It, it really does. This doesn't sound like this should be actual news, but apparently it is. Um, <laughs> here you go. The Transportation Security Administration, TSA, approved flight training. Approved, not didn't just check into it, but approved flight training for 25 illegal aliens at a Boston area flight school. Isn't that where one of the planes was, no, no, uh, that was owned by yet another illegal alien, according to the Government Accountability Office? The illegal alien flight school attendees included eight who had entered the country illegally and 17 who have overstayed their allowed period of admissions to the United States, according to an audit by the GAO. Three of these illegal aliens were actually able to get a pilot's license. Discovery of the trouble at the flight school began when local police, not federal authorities, pulled over the owner of the school on a traffic violation and were able to determine that he was an illegal alien. Representative Mike Rogers, Republican Alabama, chairman of the House Homeland Security Subcommittee and Transportation Society, said he found the GAO's findings were, quote, amazing. Quote, we have cancer patients, Iraq war veterans, and Nobel Prize winners all forced to undergo rigorous security checks before getting on an airplane, end quote, said Rogers. Quote, at the same time, 10 years after 9-11, there are foreign nationals in the United States trained to fly just like Mohammed Atta and the other 9-11 hijackers did, and not all of them are necessarily getting a security background check, end quote. Read the rest of the article if you want to, but let me just read the headline for you again. The TSA... Let 25 illegal aliens attend a flight school owned by an illegal alien, and several of the illegal aliens not only attended the flight school owned by an illegal alien, but they obtained their pilot's license after completing their training, even though they were here illegally, and, and attending a school owned by another person here illegally. And they really are concerned about your safety. That's the reason that they have old ladies having their diapers removed. Children having their breasts and genitalia felt. Because they have to make sure we're safe. But they allowed an illegal alien to have 25 illegal alien students and gave some of them licenses. And I want you to think about a bigger repercussion. Let me, let me read one little part of this to you again. And, and don't miss how important a real, this really is. Discovery of the trouble, the trouble, isn't that neat, at the flight school began when local police, not federal authorities, pulled over the owner of the school on a traffic violation and were able to determine that he was an illegal alien. Your federal government has come down on Arizona because they have asked their officers to verify the immigration status of people that are stopped for other activities. Not as they've led you to believe they go into a place and just go, where are your papers, where are your papers? Where? You, you pull somebody over, he's driving dangerous, reckless, whatever, gets in a DUI, gets arrested for theft. Hey, not only would we like to know who you are and what you were doing and whether you did this or not, but are you here legally in the first place? California has a resolution pending where they want to tell law enforcement officers that they don't get to do that Unless it's a violent crime or serious felony. You don't even get to ask. Just do your job as a local law enforcement officer and shut up. 
if these officers in Massachusetts, Massachusetts leading the way on this, didn't verify this guy's status, he'd still be an illegal alien with a flight school training and certifying pilots that are illegal aliens. There is absolutely no case that can be made to me at this point that all of this crap, all of this money is really designed to keep the people of this nation safe. If this is going on in Boston, Massachusetts, again, let me just read the headline because, it, again, it sounds like it should be on theonion.com. For those that don't know, it's a satirical fake news site, right? TSA let 25 illegal aliens attend flight school owned by an illegal alien. And Massachusetts law enforcement officers pull the guy over, verify his immigration status, and go, wait a minute, this is an illegal alien with a flight school? What's going on here? They tip people off, and the next thing we know, we find out all this is going on. And we have another state that wants to pass a law that would forbid law enforcement officers from asking these questions. You almost wonder if we've just ended up in like Insaneville or something. I mean, honest to God, guys, when I got this, I had to look it up and make sure it was reported elsewhere to vet it because I didn't believe it. I'm like, this is this is somebody making this up or something. No, 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 no. It's it's valid. It's true. So the next time you are having your genitals felt or being irradiated by a multi-billion dollar apparatus that your government said you need for your safety, the next time you're thinking, boy, I'm going to be in this town for like a half hour, 45 minute layover. I could see this old friend if they came up to the airport, but I really don't have time to go in and out of security to do that and they can't come in anymore. But that's for our own safety. The next time you see a child being touched by uh, a pervert claiming to do God's work for the TSA or what have you, and you're, you're told it's for your safety, remember this. Remember that your federal government allowed this to happen and only a quite on the ball local officer uncovered it. Let's take another one. Now, here's the real thing in this that tells you everything you need to know about your mainstream media. If I go search for illegal aliens attend flight school on Google News, I only get about six or seven results, and none of them are mainstream news sources. Um, the Salinas Californian reported it, but I don't see MSNBC, CBS, or anybody like that. The Charlotte Post has it. Um... Uh, the, the Hill, um, that's pretty much it. Uh, it. Let's see. Huffington Post shows up, but not talking. It gets the result, but it's not really about this story. It's it's almost like they don't want you to know that this happened, that they don't want to tell you about it, even though it's confirmed, even though we have it on the the floor of the Congress of uh, this, this congressman confirming that this happened and asking uh, the questions. It's, it, it's, 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 it's amazing to me that, that you know no one's really talking about this in the mainstream news. Oh, by the way, this, this goes back to 2010. That's when all this started. 2010. Two years. Two years since they found out about it. I don't know, maybe it did come out before, but I'm just hearing about it now for the first time. And uh, that tells us something as well, doesn't it? So don't trust everything the TV tells you as though you needed to hear that again from me. Uh, this one here came to me from Joseph. And Joseph says, love your show. I've been reading about how the pay structure for the National Guard and Reservist pay structure might be changing. And there's a link. What effect on recruiting or intention do you feel this would have? And how would this affect future deployment of forces? Uh, let me uh, let me go read the article instead. Of, uh, that's pretty much the main question he has. 
Review. Change guard, reserve pay. Washington, American citizen soldiers who train in their hometown for a weekend a month or two weeks a year receive more money for one day of training at home than their fellow National Guard and Reserve members earn for a day serving in the war zone. Pentagon officials defended the pay discrepancy as an incentive for National Guard and Reservists who give up their weekends and must be ready to serve at a moment's notice. But it's one of the many problems that the complex Guard and Reserve compensation system detailed in the new Pentagon review that recommends changes to make the salaries and benefits more equitable across the board. And I'll, you can read the rest of the article. They give numbers and all. But basically it works out like this. If you were going to make, I, I don't know, uh, $200 for, for two days at your pay grade, you make four when you're on guard duty, National Guard duty or reservist duty, you make pretty much double the daily pay during your two weeks a year and your weekend a month. And this isn't fair, supposedly, because, you know, hey, look, not just... The, the active duty soldier, but the guardsman that gets, you know, uh, called to active duty and sent overseas and gets combat pay, but it still doesn't add up to this much and gets paid at a lower rate. It's called part-time employment. Of course it pays more. This is just stupid. This is another example of, do you really think we can balance the budget by cutting the two-day <laughs> a month salary that a National Guard soldier makes? Let me explain how this works. Let's say I offered you a job, and you said, okay, Jack, what kind of a job is this? I say it's a good job. It's uh, 40 hours a week with benefits and all that good stuff, and you can you know, pay your bills with it, and um, I'm going to pay you $20 an hour. Now, if that works for you, you'd probably be like, yeah, I'll take $20 an hour to do that job. But if I said to you, I need you to do this job only two days a month, and I need you to do it on your weekends... And it's a job that's really not a great job, has some decent benefits and all, but you really, if you want to retain them, you have to come along. You've got to do years and years of duty. Uh, and, and then I need you two weeks a year, okay? Um, and then uh, if I ever decide I really need you full time, you have to come work for me, and I could send you anywhere around the world, and you have to give up the rest of your life during that period as long as I say – uh, and it could be like a couple weeks upstate or it could be like a couple years overseas and we just we just never know. Um, and I want to pay you the same hourly rate for your part-time work uh, as I would if I gave you a full-time job. You would probably tell me to shove it up my ass, which is what you should say. Anybody that's done contract work, part-time work, uh, knows that generally speaking, when you're called on to do short-term work, uh, with less benefits and with more things that you're giving up, generally it pays a higher rate. So that's that's it. That's the whole thing. That's why it's not a discrepancy. It's general business. Now, I understand why people in the government wouldn't understand it. Most of them don't understand business. Most of them have never been in business. They simply buy stocks with their insider trading information. Oh, did you know that's legal? Do you know that a congressman can take the information that they get about the economy? and buy and sell and trade stocks, if you did the same thing you would go to federal prison for, and it's completely okay for them to do it, there's a law that says they can, right? So that's what they know about business. They know about lobbyists, 
right? And bribes and regulations. They don't understand basic street-level business. And basic street-level business is if I only hire you two days a month, I'm generally going to have to pay you a higher hourly rate to get you come to come do a job, especially if it's not the greatest job in the world, than I would if I offered you a 40-hour-a-week job that you could pay your bills with. And if I add to that the fact that I can yank you out of your life at any time and make you go to something else... And at that point, I'm going to pay you a half rate, but I'm going to pay you a full wage. Um, then it gets even more difficult to recruit for. All right. And I'm not just talking about recruiting like for the military. I'm like, just imagine that that was you had a business and that's what you were hiring people to do, whether it was pick up trash on the street or whatever. You would think that it, you would have to pay a higher rate to get somebody only a couple days a month than you would have to pay to get them as a full time person when it comes to the hourly wage. It's just basic. It's amazing to me. And then this is the thing. They'll talk about it as being equitable and fair. Nothing to do with being equitable and fair. What they'll eventually slant this toward is, well, we could save money this way. And, you know, the country needs to cut costs. No, there's if you if every reservist and guardsman was paid zero next year and did all the duty that they were supposed to, with the exception of those going overseas. In fact, even with those going overseas. And I'm not suggesting we do this, but if we paid them all zero, it wouldn't be a mouse fart of a dent on the national debt. It wouldn't be a mouse fart of a dent. It's a rounding error. It's a rounding error. They always float shit like this so that you won't pay attention to the real problems. Please remember that. Um, here's a newsflash. Um, Ron and Rand Paul have both been working, one in the Senate, one in the House, very hard to get an audit the Fed bill passed that would give the Congress the authority that it already has, honestly, to go in and take a deeper look at what the Federal Reserve is doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, and are they really doing what they say they're doing? And this is the big news flash. Ben Bernanke thinks this is a bad idea. Yeah, the chairman of the Fed doesn't want the Congress to have oversight. Let me read this to you. And for those of you that say I'm a conspiracy theorist, when I say the Federal Reserve is a private group of banks that are not subject to government oversight uh, and don't want to be, listen to the man's own words. Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke on Wednesday rebutted Republican lawmakers pushing a bill that would give, give Congress the ability to review monetary policy decisions, saying it could compromise central bank independence. So if the government looks at what we're doing, it will compromise our independence. And they're not part of the government. Come on, guys, this is not conspiracy stuff. Bernanke said it would be a, quote, nightmare scenario, end quote, if politicians decided to second-guess monetary policy. Quote, that is, a very, that is very concerning because there's a lot of evidence that an independent central bank that makes decisions based strictly on economic considerations and not based on political pressure will deliver lower inflation and better economic results in the long term, quote, end quote. Bernanke told the U.S. House of Representatives Financial Services Committee. The hearing was likely the last chance for retiring Texas Representative Ron Paul, known for proposing the Fed should be abolished, uh, to grill the central bank chairman. Quote, Trillions and trillions of dollars are being printed out of thin air, end quote, said Paul. The Republican-controlled House is on track to take Paul's Fed audit legislation next week. The bill, which has been co-sponsored by more than half of all House members. Sponsored by half of all. And it's, why are we, you know, we, we had to vote on health care with all the objections to it. This has got half the House sponsoring it. And we can't get this done, right? Looks to be said to clear that chamber, but not the Senate. Mr. Reed doesn't want it, I guess.
gas. In response to deep financial crisis and the worst recession in generations, the Fed brought uh, brought official borrowing costs to effectively zero and brought some $2.3 trillion in treasury and mortgage bonds in an effort to spur economic growth. The results have thus far been mixed, with economic growth breaking sharply this year after a strong finish to 2011, and the, the unemployment rate stuck, uh, struck at a still high 8.2%. The Fed has opened many of its operations, including details of emergency lending, to public scrutiny, although in some instances it did only as a result of legislation or court order. No, how about all instances? All instances. The only reason we know what these clowns are doing is because of the work of people like Paul and Bernie Sanders. Paul's bill would direct Government Accountability Office, an independent, nonpartisan congressional agency, to conduct a Fed review. It would remove an exemption monetary policy, uh, an exemption monetary policy has enjoyed. Bernanke said the very notion of a monetary policy audit was misleading. Quote, the term audit the Fed is deceptive. The public thinks that auditing means checking the books, looking at the financial statements, and making sure you're not doing special deals, and that kind of thing. All of those things are already completely open, he said. Then why did we need court orders and freaking legislation passed to get that information from you in the past? You lying sack of crap. You absolutely lying sack of crap. Seriously. So he doesn't think this is a good idea. But let me give the Federal Reserve Chairman a little lesson on constitutionality. There are many people that believe that the Federal Reserve itself is unconstitutional because the, the power over the creation of money in the United States is clearly given onto the Congress in the Constitution. The Congress has the power to coin money and set the weights and measures thereof. And that is completely indisputable, and no one disputes it. What actually makes your organization, Mr. Bernanke, uh, constitutional is if the Congress has the authority, they have the power, therefore, to grant that authority to someone else. If I have the power to do something, I also have the power to delegate that power and set up an organization and oversee it how I see fit, including very little oversight or including lots of oversight. If they had the power to do that in the first place, they very well have the power to tell you to shove it up your ass and change it back to the way it was or change it to any way that they see fit in the future, jackass. That's the way it works. That's the Constitution. So this guy would tell you, if you said, how is the Federal Reserve constitutional? If you asked Bernanke this, he would tell you what I just told you. Congress had the power, Congress delegated the power. Well, if Congress has the power and has delegated, they have the, the power then to rescind the power or change the structure of the power at any time, constitutionally. So I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you're going to make a case for the fact that it works. Let's start once again, folks. This is what I've said over and over and over again that I would like the people of this country to be able to do without their political hats on. Right to have two conversations about any pending legislation or any pending activity by the government. Do they have the constitutional authority to do this? Do we have the? Should they be doing this? And in this case, the answer is absolutely, unequivocally yes. Two. How much is it going to cost, and who's going to pay for it? That's a fair question, even if you like the idea of a law. We have to be economically responsible. Well, here. It doesn't really cost a lot to go in and look at what they're doing and make the information publicly known. There's not nobody has to pay a tax for this to happen. 
The GAO's already there. All they have to do is just do their freaking job. In fact, it would actually cost us a lot less money if we took the power of monetary creation and debt-based monetary creation away from the Federal Reserve. So it doesn't cost anything. Now, as for the fact that it might cause economic recession and fear and all this, that's just because they've already done whatever they've done, and all we're doing is revealing the cancer that's there. The cancer will kill the patient whether they get diagnosed or not. If we diagnose them, then there's a chance that we can figure out how to save the patient. So that's a non-starter argument. So is the constitutional authority there? Yes. Is it going to cost money, and does somebody have to pay for it, and can we afford it? The answer is it doesn't really cost much money. Nobody specifically has to pay for it, and we do have the ability to do it right now. So, whether you think it's a good idea or not, at least we get past the first two hurdles. And it would be great if the people of this country would start asking those questions every time any of these clowns want to do anything. Because sometimes they'll check out and pass. Sometimes they won't. And if they don't pass those two questions, it shouldn't matter what we think or what we feel. Because remember, folks, remember, you can believe, I can believe, I think that everybody should own a unicorn. I can pass a law saying everybody gets a free unicorn. I can pass a law that says whenever you fart, an angel will come out of your ass, climb up on your unicorn, and grant you three wishes. I can pass that law. I can really believe in my heart of hearts that that's the way life should be so that things can be fair. But it ain't going to happen. And even if unicorns existed, we couldn't afford one for everybody. And I don't know about you, but I've never successfully farted an angel out of my ass. And I don't expect for it to happen anytime soon. Mr. Bernanke, though, you just might get somebody looking to see what you're up to. And this, this is a case for turning the Senate over to the Republicans to see if they'll do it once you get Reed out of the way. I still don't think they will. I still don't think they will. I think I got enough of them bought and paid for to stop it. But hey, what do we got to lose? They're all going to do the same thing anyway. Maybe this is one instance where we could get something like this done. I'd also like to point out the power that resides here, resides with the House, with the Congress. I don't feel constitutionally that the Congress needs the Senate to be able to do this. I think the Congress should go forward with it on their own without the Senate. That's what I think should happen. Because the Congress is the one with the monetary creation power in the flipping first place. I think that wraps things up today. We're over time as usual. Uh, not that I really mind doing it or anything, but I think it is time to wrap up today. Uh, there's some other things going on. Uh, North Las Vegas, we talked about before. They're deeper in their fiscal crisis. Looks like Compton will be the next California city to declare bankruptcy. Um, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'll go deeper into it uh, later on, but I think that this nation, uh, and there's been some stuff that's come out from several people, Peter Schiff and several others, uh, saying the same thing. I think this nation is in trouble. I think we're headlong into another recession, if not a depression, and I think that time is rapidly approaching, and I think we enter that initial stage where everybody figures it out right about the time of the election or just after the election. Um, I would start looking right now for safeguarded places for your money. I told, I've told you before that whenever I see real pending disaster economically that I would say there's a time to get out of the market. That may not be this moment, but it's coming very, very soon. And it would behoove you now to figure out what you're going to do when you make that decision to talk to your broker, 
uh, or to get access to your account so you can do it yourself and to make sure that you're ready to pull the trigger uh, whenever you feel that it's necessary. But the stock positions that I'm holding, I'm very close to exiting at this point. Um, I think that we end up, regardless of who wins the election, with some very tough things occurring right after the election with a new debt ceiling vote, uh, lame duck Congress in, in many instances, uh, the realization of the debt level where it's at. It's going to be in people's faces that they set it all the way up to $16 trillion and we're already there. Um, it's just, it's, it's about time. And then the earnings numbers that just came out are not good. And the confluence of events is coming together right around the fall of this year. And it, it's time to look for safe havens, folks. I told you I'd tell you, and I'm telling you now. Could I be wrong? I could be. I could be wrong. But I'll tell you what's not going to happen. The market ain't going to run up 20% between now and January. It ain't going to happen. So you're not going to lose by going to safer positions. You're just not. And if you stay in the dangerous position, if you do win, quote-unquote win, the gains are going to be moderate to nothing. So I'm telling you, this is time to start looking for some safe harbors. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. In our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up.